Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions. We'll dive into education issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf. Well, welcome back, Rural Scoop listeners. I'm excited that you are able to join us again today as we get an opportunity to get to know a Rural State Teacher of the Year. And uh, it's been exciting not only to, uh, to hear about what's going on in the state of Arizona, but Ty and I have had a chance to talk to some pretty amazing rural educators from across the country. And so uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce my co-host for the episode, Ty White, who is a rural teacher here in Arizona. And uh, Ty, how are things going? You know, it is an interesting year. <laughs> There's a lot of fun stuff going on, but um, gosh, it's it's one of those times that you just celebrate getting to be in the classroom and mm-hmm. getting to work with amazing kids. Um, I am excited today to get to introduce everyone to Alyssa Cassells, who, and I'm sure I probably butchered that. I apologize, but she is the 2023 South Dakota State Teacher of the Year, and I've had a ball getting to meet her this year. She's a music teacher, so I think that's a first Mm -hmm. for our teachers on the podcast. It is. And I've gotten to see some of her band formations on social media. It's so cool. Like, it takes me back to when I was a kid. And gosh, why did they tell me not to chase those dreams, right? (laughs) But um, I'm going to let her take it away, and we're really thrilled to have you here, Alyssa. Thank you. As Ty said, my name is Alyssa Castles, and I am the 512 band director at Dual High School in Clear Lake, South Dakota. Um, I am married and I have two dogs. And other than that, my life is basically teaching. So with that being said, I want to ask you about how you became a teacher. Some people come on the podcast and they always knew they were going to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. I always swore I was never going to be a teacher. So what does that what does that pathway look like for you? Well, I have always loved learning. Um, I was the kid that couldn't wait for summer break to be over. I didn't want to go home at the end of the day. I didn't mind doing homework. But even with that, I never really saw myself as a teacher until the spring of my senior year of high school. And I'm an avid reader. So basically, every time I read a new book that had a new career in it, that is what I found myself wanting to do for the rest of my life. Um, and I even applied to college with the a degree in psychology in mind. But my senior year, a couple of different things changed my mind. First, I fell in love with a high school boy that I didn't want to go very far from. Um, so my vision of traveling the world with the Red Claw with the Red Cross, um, no longer really appealed to me. And then second, I was granted a scholarship that paid full tuition for a degree in music education from any South Dakota Board of Regents University. And the only stipulation with that was that I had to work in South Dakota for five years following my graduation. So since I didn't see myself really leaving South Dakota, this seemed like the perfect opportunity to me. Um, to get school paid for and then just end up teaching, which is what I decided I wanted to do anyways. And after I made that decision, it wasn't necessarily all smooth sailing. I 
started freshman year of college and was exposed to a lot of things um, that I didn't really have an understanding of coming from a rural education. Um, I didn't know what music theory was that some of these students coming from urban areas had taken as actual classes in high school. Um, I was getting all sorts of new words and terminology through at me. And I just wasn't sure that this was the path that I was supposed to go down. But after freshman year, things got a little bit easier. Um, I was going to school for a degree in K-12 music, but with the emphasis on vocal education, a choir director. And then again, senior year of college came around and I decided I was going to switch paths and um, pursue a band job. So do you play all of the instruments? I have learned to play all of the instruments. I kind of learned with my first group of fifth graders as they were learning it. I faked that I knew what I was doing, but just kind of learned along with them. The only thing I could not pick up and play for you is a tuba. And that's just because my lung capacity. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we were talking about how South Dakota really is a rural state before we started recording. And um, it's, it's, it's almost a gimme, this next question, because it's about, you know, staying rural and choosing to teach rural. Um, but if you wanted to stay in South Dakota, there are very few places that you would not consider rural. <laughs> so were there any um, any angst about going into a rural setting and and not staying closer to, I'm assuming that the university or college that you went to was a bigger town than where you are currently? Is there any uh, desire to do anything other than rural education? I actually graduated from dual school, which is where I'm teaching right now. Ah. And I knew that I wanted to end up in a school similar to it. I even chose my college based on the size of it um, and it being one of the smaller campuses in state. But I just loved the small size, the active students, um, the close community. And with my degree being K-12, I knew I wanted to find an opportunity to teach um, as many different levels or grades as possible and not have to choose a lane or a focus right out of college. I didn't want to be stuck, so to speak, with a high school only or a middle school only, and then find out that that's not what I wanted. So my plan was just to try a few years in a 512 setting and see kind of what level or area jumped out to me. And then I just ended up loving it all. (laughs) And that's um, pretty typical of a rural educator, isn't it? We have a lot of different certifications that you typically have to hold because one content area and one focus is is not typical of a rural education setting. So you set yourself up for success no matter where you go. You said that you graduated from dual high school. Um, it, is that where you went back and started? Did you teach in some other? I, you said middle school, but like, have you always taught in that community? I started my first year in a neighboring community. Actually, it's only about 45 miles or so from here. Um, And then after one year there, this position opened up and I have been here for the past eight years now. I was interested in going back to my high school, but the way Arizona is organized as an LEA state, I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. We were just the lowest paying community in all the surrounding areas. That's unfortunate that you weren't able to to go back to your roots. Yeah. I I mean, I've I've ended up in a great community. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. 
it was just I'm curious what South Dakota looks like if it's the same kind of structure. Do you? I guess that? I'm not. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Oh, so like um, all of our schools are locally controlled under a local school board, and that local school board sets the pay scales and based on the, what the local community tax structure looks like. New Mexico alternatively has like a statewide pay scale, and 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 everything's distributed in a way that's more um uniform. Uniform. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So we have that as well. But again, bringing it back to the our entire state is kind of in the rural setting. It's fairly competitive um, amongst the schools that I was interested in teaching at. I didn't want to get into, I think we maybe have two cities that would be classified as urban and that just really didn't have any desire to live in a city or to teach in one. Um, and pay just wasn't something I thought of at 22 years old, I guess, when I already knew our state was one of the lowest in pay and I wasn't getting into it for that reason anyways. So I was just kind of naive and went with the first job I found, actually. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that uh, you're not alone in that. I did the same. <laughs> so teaching in a rural community or for uh, for you, a rural state, uh Typically, there's some challenges that are pretty unique to a rural place. Um, what are those challenges that you have in your in your community? And what have you done to try to overcome those challenges? I want to preface my answer by saying that I'm a glass half full type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I try really hard to find joy in every circumstance. So while there are challenges teaching in a rural setting, I think a lot of them can be twisted or turned to see as advantages too, if we just kind of adjust the filter that we're looking at them through. We really only have a couple of those places that would be urban. Um, And I think if a true person from an urban city came and saw our cities, they might laugh. We don't have the skyscrapers. They're still very spread out in distance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think anyone that's familiar with rural areas understands to a certain extent that rural communities have to travel. It's just part of what comes with living in a rural area. But one of the challenges that we face is how spread out our district is um, in distance. We have both students and teachers that commute up to 45 miles from any direction of our school every day, me being one of them. Um, And we have bus routes that start at 6 a.m., end at 6 p.m., Um, And that can be a challenge in itself as it turns an eight-hour school day into 10 to 12 hours for some students um, when you add their commute. And if you put that on an evening where there's a sporting event that they're traveling two hours to and from, and then another hour when they get home, some of these kids are having 18-hour days of essentially commuting. Um, Half of it is driving and traveling. And then that also becomes a challenge in the winter months when the safety of those kids and our staff becomes a big factor Um, on snow days. Sometimes it's not always the weather. It's the fact that there's a negative 30 degree wind chill Mm. and we don't want a bus full of kids um, 30 miles from the students or from the school. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think there's advantage in that. I tell people that at least my 45 minute drive is 45 miles and I'm not commuting 45 minutes, 10 miles across the city. Um, (laughs) The only traffic I'm running into is fog and a tractor and maybe a family of raccoons crossing the road. Um, 
and not to mention, I'm extremely grateful that our district has the means to even operate in this way. I'm so thankful that we have the buses and we have the drivers that can make these routes possible so that students that are so far from school can get here every day safely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and you're not alone in that uh, issue around transportation and just the time that some of our students are on a bus. Uh, we mm-hmm. see the same thing in Arizona. We've got uh, my my furthest route is an hour into uh, a native reservation, and that's a long day for kids. Mm-hmm. So it is a challenge. The the very first school I taught at had a sixty mile radius that they pulled kids in on. Mm. Um, but I think we also know why you're the teacher of the year when you can take a challenge based problem and recognize we don't want to look at it with a deficit mindset. That was a great answer. Yep, good point. So I think this is true for teachers, but I think this is more true for rural teachers that we often have to wear a lot of hats. I mean, it starts with what Dr. Sater said about rural teachers often have so many different certifications. Yep. What are some of the other things that you do for your school community besides teaching in the classroom? When I started teaching, I jumped into every coaching opportunity possible. I was coaching from August to March most years. Um, At one level or another, I've coached every level of volleyball and basketball. Um, But I was able to step back from that a couple of years ago, and I kind of picked up some new band hats instead Um, since starting at Dual. The high school band has actually tripled in size. And as a performance-based ensembles, those numbers have just added a lot to my plate. Um, When I started, we could barely facilitate a pep band. We didn't attend marching events. And we kind of stuck to the bare minimum for concerts, just trying to make it through. Um, But these last few years, we've begun traveling for pep band events. We've um, submitted to be the tournament band of the day at state events. Um, I have 130 students between middle school and high school that have two to four marching events every fall. Um, We've tried to add jazz music to our concerts. In 2020, I started a drumline that performs whenever possible throughout the year. And saying all of that out loud feels a little silly because I know there are so many people that are in similar boats and it's all technically part of my job, but I I also think it's a little crazy that it's just kind of become the norm, especially to those outside the education bubble, to expect that of our teachers, um, specifically in rural settings, and just not realizing that that all can't be done in a day. It takes so much work outside of the day to wear all these different hats. And even though it's expected of us, it's it's a lot of extra time. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of extra energy. I think, like you said, I think it's very important. You do have to normalize that to people outside education. The argument that teachers only work part of the year, like they've come out and done the math to show that when a teacher does ensemble and marching and travels to the parade and like you're working well beyond what a 40 hour week all year looks like. Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's silly for you to share that at all. And that sounds like a lot of fun, by the way. It is. And my school is really great. I do get an additional stipend as a coach would get for the extracurriculars. But again, nobody is looking at that and counting that money hourly and thinking, okay, well, I can only spend one extra hour today because that's all I'm getting paid for. Mm -hmm. You go until you have nothing left to give because 
our goal is our students and creating those opportunities for them. Mm-hmm. Do you have a booster club or are parents involved at all? We have a booster club. Um, a lot of areas around here have music boosters specifically. Ours is more of just an activity boosters club. Um, they kind of cater to all of the programs in our school. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you have some support and help. Right. That's great to hear a story, too, about a music program growing. There's mm-hmm. there's so much struggle right now with the shortage of music teachers, uh, availability, funds for it all. I think yeah. that's the thing we're celebrating. Yep. I'm going to toss too. out right now. AEF just picked for our 2024 State Teacher of the Year a music teacher from Tallahassee. And yep. uh, like it's, I think it's valuable. I'm part of, I'm a chemistry teacher, and we've been celebrating STEM a long time. And I think we should, but I think we need to recognize the value that music brings to a school community. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I'm excited to have a music teacher on here today if you haven't caught on. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I the, agree with everything you said. Yeah. And the arts are something that is often looked at as low hanging fruit. So when budgets need to be cut, that's sometimes and in some uh, locations, the thing that gets cut first. And that's unfortunate because I know that, you know, Alyssa, that's for a lot of our students, what pulls them into education and what we're trying to do with them at our at our campuses. So it's unfortunate mm-hmm. when that happens. But research, I think I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. Research says, though, too, that when you cut programs like that, Test scores go down, math mm-hmm. abilities drop. Like music and yep. arts play a much bigger role than the the straightforward visible component. Yeah, something I think that's unique about music and art is it really gives you the opportunity to understand in which a, a kid learns the ways that are easiest for them because you get to try so many different methods and you have this one-on-one time with a lot of them and that can roll over into their other classes. You helping them understand their way of learning and what makes sense to them helps them transfer that into their other school classes. I think Melissa said this a minute ago, but I'm going to use the R word. That's a special relationship. And every time you can connect with a kid like that, you're going to give them a better chance. I'm going to say at school, but later on life too. And now a word from our sponsor. So one of the things that Ty and I really like to uh, talk about is that living in a rural community and teaching at a rural school really is an advantage. Yeah, That glass half full perspective that you brought up earlier. And uh, we call that the rural advantage. What does that term mean to you? And what are those unique opportunities that you have as a rural teacher? First of all, I love this expression. I love being a rural teacher. And I truly do believe there are a lot of advantages to it, but it's not something that you often hear about, especially for those of us that are from primarily rural states. It's just a way of living. It's just um, what everyone comes to expect from our communities. And um, we kind of started talking about it a little bit earlier. And it's part of why I chose a rural school. It's why I stay in a rural school. And it's why I have positive memories from my time as a student. Um, And that's just that there's nothing more meaningful or individualized than the relationships that come from our rural communities. In an interview earlier this year, I said something along the lines of how this community just kind of swallowed me up and won't let me go. 
And I think that's so true. Even if I am not always in this school district, the year I was in college and in a different place, this school and community has always held such a special place in my heart and is a really big reason um, that I'm who I am today and where I am today. I love that we know our students long before they truly become ours. And then we cheer them on long after they leave our classrooms too. Um, my band kids are the athletes. They participate in drama. They're the leaders and the members in our school and community clubs. They are your special music in church on Sundays. They carry your groceries to your car. Um, you know, their siblings and teammates and family members, and you can say hi to every single one of them by name. And I just think it's really beautiful thing to be a part of a community that's that close. Well said. That's, that's awesome. You know, and not to, I love the thing you pointed out in our small communities, kids get to do it all. Mm-hmm. They get to be in the band and on the sports team and in the drama. And I think that's a neat opportunity for the families that live here. It is. And I love, I feel so blessed to be a five twelve teacher because when I think about it, I see some of these kids for almost half of their lives by the time they graduate. I, I get them for eight years. I watch them grow from goofy little fifth graders into <laughs> these wonderful, responsible young adults. Um, I'm actually graduating my first group of fifth grade students this year. Yay. And it's just such a special feeling to have been eight years of their journey with them. I don't know if rural high school is listening, but I'm going to say, I think you just found your graduation speaker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a full circle moment. I think I spoke at my high school graduation here oh, Wow, 12 years ago, I think. Wow. Yeah. You might want to bring that up. <laughs> so I think this is like the most fun question I get to ask a teacher. I want you to tell me about like your favorite, your proudest moment as a teacher the thing that said, yeah, I chose the right profession. <laughs> I think I have a lot of these moments every day, every year. Um, I've really been focusing on redefining what success looks like this year and that it doesn't always need to be um, determined in terms of academic success. So every time I have a student come in and be the first person to initiate conversation as a fifth grader, that's a success for me. And the first time my kids want to go to a marching event instead of having to go was a success for me. And so I've had a lot of moments, but I'm also very guilty of getting caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. My to-do list is always a mile long um, and I'm always running from one thing to the next. So last year when this teacher of the year thing came kind of out of the blue, I hadn't really heard about it. Um, I had some really cool moments and realizations with my students And so we have three steps to the process. I was selected as our district teacher of the year. And then that gave me the opportunity to apply for region teacher of the year. And after I was selected as one of the five region teachers, I applied at the state level. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't think I had a chance in the world. But when I push my students outside of their comfort zones, I feel like I have to do the same in return. And my students were in my corner the whole time boasting that there was no more, no one more deserving. Um, so my 17-year-old kids were organizing pep rallies and creating these enormous heartfelt cards that my kids 512 could sign. Um, the day of my banquet that announced the state teacher of the year, they led a surprise send-off complete with pep band music, their marching show for the whole school. Um 
And I bet about 120 hugs from every single one of those students and then some. And that night, before the banquet was even concluded, my phone was overflowing with messages and videos of just pride and congratulations from those same students. And it almost brought me to my knees. I'm really an emotional person. And I realized that these wonderful young people that I had been pouring and pouring and pouring into for eight years had been doing the same thing for me, even though I didn't realize it. They were 100% invested in who I was outside of being their teacher, um, not because of what I could do for them, but because of these relationships we had created. Mm. And it was just a huge realization for me that we know what it takes to invest wholeheartedly into our students, but we sometimes forget that if we let them, the students will return that love and investment with interest. Absolutely. I just had never thought about it like that. And I was so overcome with emotion that this is not a one-way street and we are not just here for the students, but they play such an important role in our lives too, as educators. Mm -hmm. That's why we got into what we do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, I'll, I'll delay for you for a minute. Like Alyssa, that was beautiful. Uh, We've heard some really neat stories from teachers. And when you started to say, I have a lot like, Oh yeah, share them all. But I mean, that was a powerful thing you just said. And I think I'm going to have to reach for the tissue here in a second. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you know, being a teacher is hard, but being a teacher in a rural school can be even more challenging just because of lack of access. And there are things that, uh, despite loving what you do and having that relationship with your students, sometimes teaching is hard in a rural community. Um, What is it that keeps you up at night, not just in your own community or even your own state, um, but what are those things that face rural teachers that um, are are really issues that policymakers and influencers would probably need to know about? I don't know if this answers your question 100%. Um, I kind of thought of this in a specific way that applies to me this year more than it ever has. Um, we had this really cool selection announcement last year that our high school band was going to be the South Dakota representative in the National Independence Day Parade in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. next year. And since then, um, we, we've we realized that this is a probably once in a lifetime experience for a lot of our students, but that it also be- comes with a really big price tag. Um, and I'm finding out firsthand this year that rural areas really don't have as many opportunities for or access to large dollar fundraisers. Um, Again, this goes back to the distance and the physical location of our schools and communities, Um, but we're restricted in what we can offer or sell or even participate in due to distance. We don't have these larger chains that are used to providing local fundraising. Um, And my community is outstanding. It tries its best to provide for students, but it also gets hit up from every club and every Mm -hmm. new project and our communities do everything they can to support our kids. Um, But sometimes we need to be able to have access to larger um, avenues for fundraising. And I've looked into it a lot this year more than ever. And every time I get the same response, we can't help you due to where you're located. We can't reach your area. This is not offered 
in your state. Um, and just that constant no, and not because of anything you do or because of your community or your kids, but simply because of your location. Um, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow that just because of where we were raised, where we're growing up, where we're putting our roots down, we have less opportunities. Um, and not just with funding with so many other things, but this is one that's really hit me in the face this year, just because it's a specific year that I'm trying to come up with a large, large dollar amount um, for these kids to have the opportunity. Yeah, that's, um, that's unfortunate. And I, and I think that you're right. It isn't something that you think about until you have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And Unfortunate. I know that. Um, and Ty, you've probably come across this as well. Uh, but there are not as many nonprofits that exist that uh, are in or that serve rural communities. And so that that access to supports, financial or otherwise in kind, just are not there. So if there's anybody listening that <laughs> wants to support a rural uh, marching band headed to DC. Uh, we can certainly make sure that we're connecting you with Alyssa so that you can support her students. Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, and I, I know there's some some of the rural organizations in Arizona partner with like United Way, but every time I think about signing up for, for example, First Robotics, there's a six thousand dollar price tag my kids mm -hmm. are supposed to raise, and we've already hit up all the restaurants for football and basketball, and wrestling, and baseball, and softball, and volleyball, and band, and, and, and on, streams, and on, and space settlement, <laughs> right. and, and every year, and every year, and every year, because yeah. we all need the funding. Well, and, and that, that's, that's definitely a challenge. And like you said earlier, access, because of where you're located, um, is a hard pill to swallow, lack of access. This next question is probably kind of funky because South Dakota is so rural. So I guess like I want to share a little bit of context for you. In Arizona, Phoenix, Tucson, Flagstaff are our large metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. They're also the places where we have our biggest uh, teacher programs. Mm -hmm. um, NAU is in Flagstaff, which has got an, an outstanding college of education. The U of A has an outstanding. And I mean, there's also ASU and Grand Canyon. But... um. <laughs> What would you say to a teacher that might cause them to consider teaching in a rural setting? And since all of our teacher programs are grounded in urban communities, that's what the students kind of get trained in. It's what they're maybe more familiar with. And so how would you draw a teacher out to consider rural education? Yeah, even though we're a fairly um, rural state, I would say we're running into some of the same um issues with our students that are in these college programs are only getting city experience. Um, when I was here as a student, I remember student teachers almost every year. And now we're lucky if we get one in our entire staff the whole year. Um, and we're only 35 minutes from a very major university. But the students just have so many opportunities within the city to get experience that they don't really venture any farther than that. And I would just tell them that if you're even semi-interested in a rural setting, that you should go for it. I think we're full of opportunities for people to find their perfect fit. There is always coaching positions available and advisor 
opportunities. Um, we get to intersub within our schools and teach different subject areas for a period or a day. Um, you get to experience all the levels at a K-12 building. You might be subbing for a third grade teacher or, or taking recess duty one day and you get to experience all these different levels of education, all these different areas of education. And while it might get heavy to wear all these hats at once, it's a really cool way to figure out what you like and where you fit. And I've known a couple of teachers that have come in just set on a certain age or grade level or, or subject area, and then one exposure to a higher level or a lower level, and they completely change their mind about what their future looks like in education. And I just think that's a really cool opportunity that you might not get at some of the bigger schools where if you don't have an exact degree, you don't get to step into other classrooms. Where here, we're taking every, anything we can get sometimes. Um, as long as you love kids and are here to do a good job, we have a student teacher also teaching a class by herself this year. And she was an elementary ed major and is teaching middle school and just absolutely loves it. She doesn't want to leave at the end of the semester. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, I had the same focus. I was going to be a, an elementary teacher, ended up teaching sixth grade my first year and never left. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Because you don't know what you like until you get to experience it. That's right. That's right. So, Alyssa, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure you have an opportunity to highlight for your rural community? I just want to reiterate the fact that there there's disadvantages and advantages in everything, in any location, any area, any size. But I really think that rural advantage far outweighs the challenges that may come from teaching in our rural settings. Um and like I said earlier, we just have to adjust our filters to see it that way sometimes. I can't imagine teaching in any other setting. And I am so thankful that this is where my path in education has brought me. I think that's wonderful. I I, I agree with you. You know, I did spend a couple of years in the Phoenix area, but I found myself a small school. Like I, I could not imagine teaching in a great big, great big school. Yeah, me either. I'll, I'll be rural for life. Well, thanks so much for spending some of your day with us and uh, getting an opportunity to hear about your rural school and what you do in South Dakota has been very enlightening. So thanks for sharing. And just yeah, a thanks. reminder, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll let you go, but I'm just a reminder, there are people out there who are ready to make a $20, $50, $100 donation to the marching band trip to Washington, D.C., well, thank you guys. I appreciate you having me. As I said, your podcast has been keeping me company on my daily commute. So for any other rural teachers out there, I know you drive every day. So tune into Rural Scoop. Ah, thank you. We'll take that <laughs> any right. day of the week. <laughs> Have a great day, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. And be sure to follow on Twitter at Dr. Sadorf. That's D-R underscore S-A-D-O-R-F so that you never miss a new release. You can also check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts.
Production support for The Rural Scoop is provided by Chattanooga Podcast Studios. Find out more at chattanoogapodcaststudios.com. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.